All right, 1 Kings chapter 1, uh, actually 1 Kings chapter 2, excuse me. We're going to read the first uh, 11 verses. And uh, the kingdom protected. Uh, Here's a quote, and I had uh, gone through, this is kind of a a little bit of review from what we started off last week. We're looking at the book of 1 Kings and studying uh, this passage of scripture. And uh, one gentleman stated, a crisis isn't what makes a person, a crisis shows what a person's made of. In one form or another, you find this statement in the writing of insightful thinkers from antiquity to the present. Another verse is, what life does to you depends on what life finds in you. And uh, the, sun, <laughs> the same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. And uh, what do we do when crises happen in our lives, and how do we respond? And that really does show where our faith rests. Is God our uh, rock, our foundation, or is uh, something else that foundation? And that's something in our lives where <clears throat> we can face a crisis. And uh, that is exactly what's going on here in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2, and it reads, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. That thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue his sword, his word, excuse me, which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amasa the son of Jether whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table, for, they, for so <clears throat> they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother." And behold, thou wast with thee, Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamin, a Benjamite of Baharam, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now, therefore, hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whorehead, it's kind of a gray head, whorehead, as it talks about in Scripture, bring thou down to the grave with blood. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years, seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And what we have in 1 Kings chapter 1, just in a little bit of review, 1 Kings chapter 1, David is on his deathbed, he's dying, the king of Israel, and uh, over all twelve tribes. And his son Adonijah wants to take uh, the Abishag, the the, the woman, the damsel that's with there with David, keeping kind of tending to him, a nurse to him, and uh, one of his concubines, and uh, there was some messed up things back then. Anyways, Adonijah thinks, you know what, if I can get my dad's concubine, then I can become king. And so he went and exalted himself, he took a whole bunch of his friends, and uh, he said, I'm king. And they threw a party, they slew animals, they had a, you know, they slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle, and they had, man, they had a huge buffet, uh, everyone there. And uh, he was a traitor. He was like his brother Absalom. And uh, he hosted a great feast, invited all of his brothers except Solomon. He also didn't invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah 
one of the very mighty men. Benaiah is, as I had mentioned, uh, was a, a tremendous leader. Uh, Benaiah was a man that, I mean, slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day, you know. He's just one of those man's men. We have find Nathan, the prophet, was a loyalist, and he would inform Bathsheba, one of David's wives, uh, about Adonijah and the fact that Adonijah was assuming the kingship before David had died, knowing full well that Solomon was the rightful heir to the throne. Now, Adonijah was the oldest son. And so Bathsheba also informs David, and she bows down before him. You'll read that in chapter 1. Nathan informs him, David instructed his loyal servants to deal with the crisis. David did not get angry. He said, no, I'm going to take my servants. I'm going to anoint Solomon publicly. And we're going to make this a matter that everyone in the kingdom will know whom I'm appointing as my heir. And so David speaks to Bathsheba, reaffirms the fact that her son Solomon, now she's worried. You know, David, didn't you say that my son Solomon will be king? And he said, you know, obviously yes. Now if David didn't deal with the problem, then a rebellion would grow. You know, if if someone's in this disgruntled position and you don't deal with it, uh, it can very well fester to, you know, (laughs) create a coup uh, or some very traitorous acts. The trumpet would be blown. Benaiah was actually the son of a priest and uh, was a military man. He had been military his life. A very, very faithful man. Faithful to David, faithful to Nathan the prophet, and even faithful to Solomon. And uh, as we think about this, Solomon <clears throat> would execute Joab, uh, as we would find in chapter 2, verse 35. Joab was a man that just chased power. If he could make money and he could make power, he didn't care what he compromised, he was going to go for it. And um, so the Lord informs Israel in verse uh, 38 through 53 of chapter 1. I'm just kind of catching you up on the story of where we're at. Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah were protected by David's personal troops. And, uh, you know, the, the people would shout, God save King Adonijah. But the real question is, had David died? Who is the authority that God has chosen? Adonijah did not have a prophet there. He was not anointed. Um, You know, he was not anointed by God, one of God's men. And so he assumed a role that he was not fit for. And, you know, Adonijah maybe thought that Jonathan was bringing good news, but it turned out to be the worst possible news for Adonijah, Abiathar, and Joab. And uh, there's a man named Jonathan here. Uh, And an eyewitness. Now, As they hear, the co-conspirators here with Adonijah hear the trumpet for Solomon. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, the gig's up. We're in trouble. (laughs) We better get out of here. And so they flee. They're like, I don't want to stay around Adonijah. So this catches us up here with chapter 2. You know, if Solomon, if David did not deal with the situation, Adonijah would have killed Solomon he probably would have killed, gone on to kill David or neglected him to where he died. Adonijah was a man that was all about himself. I deserve to be the king. I'm the oldest son. He didn't care what God thought. It's what I want. It's my emotions. Whatever I want, that's all that rules. And it's kind of like what we would find in today's day and age, right? Whatever feels good, I'm going to follow with. But David the realist, as we understand, David served his own generation by the will of God, Acts 13.36 tells us this. But David was also concerned with the next generation. He says, you know what, I'm concerned for my son and my grandchildren. 
I want them to have a nation that will honor and serve God. I want this nation to be a mighty nation. I don't want it going to my son Adonijah. And this fourth death of Adonijah would end up dying would be a consequence of David's uh, adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He was noted to have a fourfold uh, consequences for his sin. Uh, first of all, he would lose the little baby. Uh, second of all, um, uh, Amnon would be killed, Absalom would be killed, and Adonijah would be killed. Now, Amnon was killed because he had raped uh, Tamar, one of David's daughters, and that was Amnon's half-sister. A uh, very gross thing. But anyways, all, David would face a fourfold death in his family uh, as a consequence of his actions. You know, and our actions do affect other people. What we do, it affects our children, it affects our grandchildren, it affects our friends, it affects our, our co-workers, other church people. Our actions, for the Lord or not, it affects other people. So the, the principle here in chapter 2 that we look at first, verses 1 through 4, David understands, I'm going the way of all the earth. He says, listen, I'm dying. I know it's my time to die. But, in verse 3, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways to keep his statutes. What's David saying? He said, put the Lord first. And this, I am going the way of all the earth, really is a quotation from Joshua at the end of his life. You know, be strong and have a good courage, Joshua would also say. Solomon was a young man. Now, what is amazing about Solomon's life is that his mother was Bathsheba. If you remember, she was the one that had the adulterous affair with David. David killed her husband, you know, in effect. And yet, she would be, go on to be the Proverbs 31 woman. When it talks about highly speaking of a, uh, the wife there in Proverbs 31, it's thought to be speaking of Solomon, speaking about his mother, Bathsheba. She ended up becoming a very godly lady. And God used her in a great way. And so Solomon was a young man who had a godly mother. David had already commissioned Solomon. He already had commissioned Solomon that the fact that he would build the temple. And it would take seven years to do such. And when you think about this, <clears throat> that David's heart, David wanted to build the temple and God said no. Now, David's words parallel those of Moses who, who, when he commissioned Joshua. I want you to look with me uh, in Deuteronomy 31. We'll look at Deuteronomy 31 here when you think about this. So, here is <clears throat> David, now in this one, Joshua 31, uh, verse 7. So, David is, or excuse me, Moses is calling Joshua to take over. And, um, well, let's actually look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 31, verse 5, And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that ye may do unto them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. He tells Joshua, Joshua, you're taking over in the rule over as a leader over the Israelites. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, or be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them. And thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. What is, Joshua, what is Moses telling Joshua? He's saying, Joshua, 
you're going to have some obstacles. You know what being a leader, uh, being a parent, uh, being a supervisor at a job, you have people that sometimes just plain flat out don't like you. Uh, You have children that sometimes get angry at you. You have family that gets angry at you. And he is telling Joshua, listen, do the right thing. Be, Be courageous. Push forward. Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to those who do not want to do what God wants to do. And so the fact remains that David, in the same way, is doing this with Solomon. He says, listen, in your life, you need to do what I've commissioned you to do. You need to make Solomon king. And David was familiar with the law. He was familiar with the covenant. He also reminds Solomon of the Davidic covenant. What is the Davidic covenant? The Davidic covenant is that there will sit on the throne of David forever a king. We have a king now that's of the lineage of, of, of David, and his name is Jesus Christ. He still sits on that throne, the Davidic covenant. But... In 2 Samuel, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter uh, 7. David gives a stern warning to Solomon. You know, and it, and it would apply to us as well in our lives. We understand that God is for us. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? Uh, we've heard that verse. But the fact remains that God wants a close relationship. If I don't treat my wife right, it's not going to be a peaceful and harmonious relationship. It's, you know, she might be still for me, but she's like, hey, hey, buddy, you need to, you know, straighten up. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth with curtains. And it goes on, and David wants to, to be in the temple, and he wants to do all this stuff. But it says in verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. So David understands that, listen, Solomon's going to build a temple. Uh, in verse 14, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So we have the Davidic covenant, David's covenant, Davidic covenant here. And uh, warned Solomon, listen, if you disobey God's law, you're going to get in trouble. Sometimes we might think, well, how could God be so mean that if, you know, if I mess up, uh, that God's going, you know, David, Solomon would end up having, I think, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Uh, you know, this man's Valentine's was a nightmare. And, uh, I mean, he was a womanizer. And he ended up going into gross paganism and idolatry, and, and God chastened him. Now, in a relationship, it's commitment, it's trust, it's, you know, and God's saying, listen, I want to be first. You know, it, in a, in, a, in a relationship, you know, my wife and I want to know that there's no one else. <laughs> you know, and, and it does affect. If there was something on the scene, then it would affect the relationship. And God's saying, listen, I want that close relationship with you. 
And the chastisement that God's doing is to bring someone back to themselves. If you're working, if, say if you have a test and you're in school and you don't study for the test and you get a failing grade or a bad grade. I don't know if they give F's anymore, but if they do, you get an F because you didn't study. What is the bad grade supposed to motivate you to do? The bad grade is to motivate you so for the next test I study so I get a better grade. It's kind of a form of punishment, if you would, right? I don't like bad grades if you're striving for excellence. So David knows that he has a ministry to perform for the Lord, and ultimately from his descendants would come the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, Solomon didn't follow God, and he did have many wives that would take his heart away from God uh, to a lot of materialism and to a lot of different idols. In verses 5 through 9 here in 1 Kings chapter 2, it is God telling him to protect the kingdom. And David knew that there were perils. People were waiting for David to die. And there were two dangerous men that needed to be dealt with. Sometimes when a strong leader has been on the scene for a number of years, like if, if there's a large church and the pastor's been there for quite some time, uh, and maybe he's getting older and, and, and frail, there are sometimes, oftentimes, men on the scenes that are just waiting to grab power to cause great chaos in that church. Joab is one such man, and David names him. Now, Joab had stood with David through many trials. But Joab was David's nephew and the brother of Abishai and Asahel. They were all noted warriors. But Joab would kill Abner, because Abner had killed Asahel, to whom he was related. Joab had also been involved in the scheme uh, to kill Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Uh, and uh, Joab, again, uh, had also been there with Absalom. And Joab, <clears throat> Joab killed David's son, Absalom, excuse me. And he killed Absalom, seeking to win David's favor. Joab was a man that says, if I can get an opportunity to advance, I'm going to take it. He was a man of very little ethics, very little integrity. The second dangerous man was Shimei. Now, if you and I were in the position of David, think about this. You're Shimei. You're in the position of David. You're, you're David. And Shimei is yelling and cursing and swearing and just berating you with just awful, awful, awful taunts. He was a Benjamite, a relative of King Saul, and he hated David. He didn't feel that David deserved to be king. And I mean, it, it talks about him like a dog. And he was so mad. He was you know, kind of like foaming at the mouth. And Shimei was a king, was a, just hated the king. And this is actually a violation of the law, Exodus twenty two twenty eight. But David would extend kindness to Shimei. He knew that some of the, congr some of the congregation of Israel, some of the population would be pro-Saul. You know, anytime there's a transition in power and leadership, politically speaking, there's always a group of people that are not necessarily on board with to whomever the political leader is at the time. And David understood this. David would remember Joab and Shimei, and he would give them grace. David did die, and so he's telling Solomon, be careful of Joab, be careful of Shimei. These are dangerous men. 
Now, Solomon was the strategist. If you read verses 12 through 46, we'll look at little sections at a time. But think about this. The new king had his agenda to deal with Joab, deal with Shimei. How would you like to know that as soon as you take over the position, you have Joab against you, you have Shimei against you, you have Adonijah against you, and you're supposed to build the temple for the worship of God. That's a pretty big undertaking. You know, and Solomon, uh, as you know, we know that Solomon would ask God for wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth or riches. He asked for wisdom because he understood, listen, I've got a hard task. I've got a lot of people that I'm responsible for. You know, that's what we need. We need God's wisdom. And so Solomon strategizes and here in verse 13 of chapter 2, and Adonijah the son of Haggith came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Albeit the kingdom is turned about and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay, that he give me Abishag the Shunammite to wife. And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. And Bathsheba therefore went unto king Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne. So Solomon is giving reverence and respect to his mother. And caused a seat to be set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, thy brother, to wine. And king Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is mine elder brother, even for him and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Uh-oh, we've got a problem. As soon as, Adonijah, as soon as Solomon takes over, Adonijah's scheming, I want to be the king. How can I get in in a humble fashion? He comes in in a very sheepish. He comes in in a very humble fashion. You know, just because someone may display humility does not mean they don't have ulterior motives. And Adonijah comes to the mother. He doesn't come to Solomon directly. He's trying to scapegoat the proper authority here. Going around the God-ordained authority. He's trying to go through the mother. Use the weaker, you know, use, you know, the mother who has the heart of Solomon to get Solomon to acquiesce to his wishes. Again, he seeks to get the throne in an underhanded, deceitful way. And Adonijah thinks, maybe if I get Abishag, to whom is closest to the King David prior to his passing, then Israel will know because I've had David's concubine, my dad's wife, that I will now be able to become king. Some may think that maybe Bathsheba was naive about this. Others would say that she knew what she was doing and uh, she knew the plot. She wanted to bring it to her son's attention. That's why Absalom, if you were to look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, 20 through 23, Absalom would take 
publicly take David's concubines to announcement to the people that he was now king. Adonijah's trying the same trick. He's trying to undermine through deceitful means to get the power. You know, our daughter, she's three and a half, and uh, there's times she'll come up and she'll give a sweet little voice and she'll give you batter eyes and, and then she'll ask for something. Or she'll ask something in a roundabout way. I mean, she, she's trying to get what she wants, but she knows if I ask directly, I probably won't get it. So if I ask in a round, I mean, she's three and a half. I think all little kids, they have figured, you know, they try to figure out how can I get mom and dad to do what I want them to do. You know, and, and so she, she'll ask me a question and, and she'll have a little smirk on her face and I'm like, hmm, something's up here. Something doesn't seem right, you know? And you're like, so you ask a few more questions and you're like, no, you're not doing that, you know? But I mean, that's the same way with Adonijah. He's still trying to get his way. Don't we do that with God sometimes? Don't we say, God, I, you know, I'd really like, you know, God, I'll serve you if only you do this for me. We try to get God to bend to our will. God knows what's best for us. But I like to pray to God, God, please do this for me, and then I'll give you the rest of my life. God, do this for me, and then I'll, you know, I'll go to church. Or if you do this for me, then, you know, we try this bargaining game with God. That's exactly what Adonijah is trying to do. But it's not working. His, his gig is up. And, you know, Solomon knows that Adonijah and Joab are still conniving together to gain control of the kingdom. David is now gone, and Solomon is stuck with a predicament. In verses 26, one of the men that's also working with Adonijah is Abiathar. Verses 26 and 27 of chapter 2 of 1 Kings and unto Abiathar the priest said the king, Get thee into Anathoth, unto thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because thou hast been afflicted all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out... <clears throat> Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest in the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. And so David says, Abiathar, I know you're, <laughs> you're unethical. I know that you would have my head, but I'm going to let you live. Uh, Solomon, you, you know what he does? He says, you need to go back, get to Anathoth, and if you stay there, you're okay. But if you leave, you're a dead man. Abiathar, you're no longer priest. You'll live. He shows him mercy. Verses 27 through 36. Let's read verse 28. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold in the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled into the tabernacle of the Lord. And behold, he is by the altar. And then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go fall upon him. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, Do as he hath said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he. 
and slew them with the sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit, Abner the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David and upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went up and fell upon him and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah the son of Jehoiada in his room over the host, and Zadok the priest did the king put in the room of Abiathar. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Build thee an house in Jerusalem and dwell there and go not forth hence uh, any whither. What happens? David says, Go get Joab. Joab will come and get me. I've got, Joab has too much influence. I mean, he was like a top general in the country. If you're a top general, you have some influence upon people. If you're a supervisor, uh, you know, you're a big wig in a, in a corporation, you've got influence. When you get out of that company, I know oftentimes my mother works uh, for a company and, and, you know, she's got a clause. When she leaves, she can't talk with any competition or anything else uh, for, I don't know how many years, uh, because of all the rapport with all of her sales, I mean, all of her clients. So she cannot contact them about business because she could easily, uh, you know, steal the business from the company she's currently working for. So understanding that Solomon, Joab has to be put away with. Joab has an efficient spy system. He flees to the tabernacle. You know who would flee? Why do people flee to the tabernacle? There was in the Old Testament just a little bit of cultural understanding for you. Someone who was guilty potentially of manslaughter, and they flee to the, you know, they flee to the tabernacle, they flee uh, to a refuge city. And they flee for the idea, you know, that, hey, I, I want a trial, and I want you to prove that I'm indeed the killer. Well, in this case, we knew Joab, he knew his integrity, lack thereof, his character, uh, and the lack thereof. So Joab defied both Benaiah and Solomon by refusing to come out of the sacred place. And so Solomon says, you need to deal with him. He was killed. It's a hard thing as a leader. And Solomon has to dispose of him. And you're thinking, you know... My, so much bloodshed. But these are men that do not fear God. Uh, these are men that, you know, are all about themselves. And, you know, if they're not hung up, they're showing their character. They're showing that they're all about themselves and that they would quickly kill Solomon. Additionally, Joab had killed innocent blood. He'd killed Absalom. And Joab was a man with really no morals in this case. The innocent blood of killing Absalom, his blood would cry out. Isn't that amazing, though, when you think about that Joab had killed Absalom. Absalom was trying to come against David, and David didn't want his own son killed. David wept when Absalom died. Joab didn't flee. I mean, he, he's like, you know, fleeing to the altar. Hopefully I can get a fair trial here. He had already shown what kind of man he was. It was well known. And the innocent blood needed to be taken away with. And this is where you would find in capital punishment. People can flee to a city of refuge, one of six cities. And at this, just a little aside, on these cities of refuge, if 
for instance, maybe you're, you know, I think they give an illustration in the scripture. Someone's, you know, using an axe. The head falls off. It hits someone in the head. It kills them. Total accident. The person says, uh-oh, that person died. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't anything I did. They flee to a city of refuge. They await a trial. A witness said, yeah, I saw him. The head flew off. It wasn't malicious. There was no ill will between the two of them. It was a complete accident. And he can go free. You know, and so, but they didn't want shedding of innocent blood. Now, if someone was lying in wait or they were angry and they punched someone and they hit him so hard that they died, you know, fell back, hit their head and they died, uh, then that would be a malicious thing. And uh, there were penalties for that. Additionally, in this passage of scripture, we have Joab. He's a mess. He's gone. You have Abiathar. He's now, you know, exiled to his place. Then you have Shimei, verses 36 through 46. And Shimei is told to stay in his place. And, well, let's look at me at verse 39. So, something, so Shimei says, go to this city, stay there. If you leave there, your blood be upon your own head. Verse 39, it came to pass at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away unto Achish, son of Maacah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Behold, thy servants be in Gath. And Shimei rose and saddled his ass and went to Gath, to Achish, to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come again. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Did I not make thee to swear by the Lord? And protested unto thee, saying, No, for a certain, on the day thou goest out and walkest abroad any whither, that thou shalt surely die. Thou sayest unto me, the word that I have heard is good. Why then hast thou not kept the, <clears throat> the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with? The king said moreover to Shimei, Thou knowest all the wickedness which thine heart is privy to. But thou didst to David my father, therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon thine own head. And King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Beniah the son of Jehoiada, which went out and fell upon him, that he died. And the king was established in the hand of Solomon. David had brought unity and peace, and Solomon didn't want Shimei creating problems. He says, Shimei, you're welcome to be among us. I want you to stay in this city, because if you leave this city, you might try to get a militia, you might try to get some group of men, and upset the unity of this nation. You've got boundaries. Why would he do that? Because unity in the nation... Have you ever had someone inside your workplace that maybe has a bad attitude? Someone that kind of a sour attitude? And the boss says, you keep your mouth shut. Stop spreading gossip. Stop spreading this bad spirit. If you don't, we're going to fire you. Why? Because how many of you like to work in a toxic work environment? I don't. You don't. I don't think any of us like to work in a toxic work environment. We don't like to be in a place where someone is bad-mouthing others, bad-mouthing us, bad, you know, just continuing to bad-mouth. It's, it's an awful place to be. And so he says, Shimei, I'm going to give you grace. You control your destiny in fact to your life. So Shimei obeys for three years, and then he left. You know what? He could have hired somebody else to go retrieve his, his servants for him. But he says, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to defy the authority, and I'm going to do it under my own authority. Thinking maybe Solomon. Solomon's not here in the city. Solomon won't find out. But understand this. Scripture's clear. Be sure your sin will find you out. 
Solomon was a man of peace. First Chronicles 22, verses 6 through 10. Solomon was a man of peace. But his peace, and any peace in our life, is based on righteousness, that which is pleasing to God. In James 3.17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. God's wisdom is the first characteristic of God's wisdom in James 3.17 is noted as pure. Second of all, it's peaceable. The land had been polluted by Joab, his unethical nature, his unethical character, and the land could only be cleansed by getting rid of Joab, getting rid of Abiathar, getting rid of Shimei, either putting boundaries on them on what they could and could not do so that they didn't cause disunity. There's a lot of disunity in Canada right now. Tremendous disunity. And it creates a lot of unrest. And we can have our ideas on that. I won't go down that rabbit trail, but David was guilty of asking Joab to shed Uriah's innocent blood. But Solomon's hands were clean. Solomon was a man of peace. And that's why God allowed him to build the temple. David's sunset years are over. He's now into eternity. But for Solomon, Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. You know what God does for someone who says, you know what? I'm going to do it God's way. And Solomon here in his early years, he did right. He honored God. He dealt with sin. He dealt with those who were trying to hurt the kingdom. Uh, he had the wisdom of God. He, uh, he desired to honor God. If you read the prayer that he uh, would recite to the people at the dedication of the temple, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And God would, through Solomon, keep the light of a faith in God burning for the nations to show that there still is a God. He's still in control. And Solomon was a man that was used. Now, granted, he had greatly compromised and created a lot of heartache. When we read and sing David's psalms and study his life, the light shines on and helps, you know, helps us in our life. The kingdom was protected by some men who were leaders, by people, Bathsheba, a leader, who was willing to say there's wrong going on and it needs to be dealt with. And that's the case in our point is, you know what, don't try to circumvent authority. Don't try to go around it. Go to the authority and deal with it. Don't go around. And when you do, you create a lot of heartache. Joab, Abiathar, (laughs) and others would tell you this. Shimei, Shimei, God, you know, David displayed tremendous grace to someone who would curse his name and treat him vile in a vile way. You know what? The kingdom can only be protected. A house is only protected. A family is protected by those who are aware of the dangers. We need to be steadfast. Keep our eyes focused forward. Know what is right. Know what is wrong. And be ready to protect when the need arises. We'll conclude this in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you uh, for the example here in this passage of Scripture of Solomon, even David, Lord, that was willing to deal with a coup, uh, willing to deal with traitors, even his own children, 
would attend the feast of Adonijah. And Lord, a lot of sometimes as a leader, it can be a lonely position, but Father, you've called us to do the right thing. Father, help us to lean upon thee, to love and serve you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for, even with David and with Shimei, who treated him wickedly, Lord, he still dealt grace. And Father, I pray that we would do the same with our enemies. Father, help us to keep our hearts fixed upon you and to love you and serve you and do the right thing. Be people of integrity. And Lord, I commit all of today to you. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray.